thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Okay. Great. Good stuff. Welcome. Um, one notice I was going to give Phil, but I thought it fits in with what I'm going to say this morning, so I didn't, not because I didn't trust Phil to do it, because I think he did a great job. Oh, it's very echoey. Um, on a Friday, we have a book group. Just give, you, give us a wave. Put your hand up if you've been part of that book group over the years. So keep them up to the high. So there's a few of us, okay? Um, we used to meet physically in a coffee shop and discuss it, but then since COVID, we've done it on Zoom. So it is easier in some ways, and actually, we, we probably talk more about the book than drinking coffee and cakes. Um, but basically, we, we read a book throughout the sort of few weeks, and we do a chapter a week. It's not a big commitment. One chapter of a book a week, and then on a Friday, we come together and we just share bits we've underlined that we like. It's really simple. So if you're free on a Friday afternoon, then you're more than welcome to join us. We've started a new book this last, just, just this week gone. So if you join now, you'd only be playing catch-up. It's only two chapters, not a big deal. But the reason I say um, about it today, the book we're reading is called All the Places You'll Go by John Ortberg. And um, we've started this new one. And chapter one starts by talking about telling your story in six words. Okay, so if you were to, if you were to think about your life and your story... How would you sum it up in six words? It was inspired, the question was inspired by an online magazine that asked the question, that was inspired by a legendary challenge posed to Ernest Hemingway, the writer, and he was asked to write a six-word story. So can you imagine writing a six-word story? And this is what he came up with. These are his six words, and I think you'll agree, you tell a story, okay? Quite a sad story, so I'm just warning you. So these were his six words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. But what a story, six words, yeah? What a clever man to come up with that idea, poignant and full of thoughts. And others have responded to that question with their own story. So some of the responses were, Tombstone won't say had health insurance, okay? Not a good Christian, but trying. Thought I would have more impact. I quickly thought of mine, and I think it was some hair, no hair, don't care. <laughs> so that pretty much sums me up, I think. You know? See, I got more laughs than it did on the group here, that, didn't it? <laughs> they all was just stony silence when I said that in the group. Okay. But then the other interesting thing in the book is John Ortberg sums up some Bible characters in six words. Now, this was quite interesting. A little bit uh, twee, some of them. But I quite like these ones. Abraham left Ur, had baby, still laughing. It's pretty good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, theirs was, king was hot, furnace was not. <laughs> and the, the one, uh, not the one that we liked the most, Noah's was, hated the rain, loved the rainbow. But the one I think we liked the most, and I think probably has the most relevance, was the Good Samaritan. I came... 
I saw, I stopped. Pretty good. So can you see how actually six words can say an awful lot? So I thought I'd introduce you. So if you're interested in being in book group, you just need to get the book. If you can't get the book, then I'm sure we can try and support that. It's available on Kindle if you don't like proper books, or available on books if you don't like Kindles, Francis. But anyway, but it's a good book. It's available in all good places, and a chapter a week. It's a very easy read, but a challenging read. And it talks about God opens doors, and do we step through them, or do we just miss that opportunity? The interesting thing was, when we don't step through a door, it actually can result in not blessing other people. And it's never about us. So the, the reason I say that at the beginning of my message today is that this series we've been doing has been called Four Simple Words. So I thought, you know, six, four is even harder, isn't it? Four simple words. And it's all about things that Jesus said about his own message. So today I'm going to look at four simple words, but I'm going to finish with five. So you've had six to start with. We're going to have four throughout, and I'm going to finish with five. Okay? So there's something to think about. So far we've heard, I will give you. Jesus said, I will give you. We focused on, I will give you rest. But he also said, I will give you life to the full. I will give you peace. I will give you joy. I will give you. Second rate eight came and said, I am with you. I am with you. Jesus said, I am with you. Till the end of the age, I am with you. Full stop, with you. We then had the baptisms, believe and be baptized. Four simple words that echo the message that Jesus gave. And finally today, we finish with the words Jesus said the most often in one way or another. And that was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If we can remember these four simple words, then we get a flavor of the whole of Jesus' message. Do not be afraid. I will give you life to the full. Why? Because he died so that we might have it. I will give you life to the full. Do not be afraid. Sometimes it's don't be afraid. He uses contractions. Well, he doesn't, but anyway. Sometimes it's do not fear. Sometimes it's do not be anxious. Sometimes it's do not worry. And if I said today, who has a fear? I bet most of us can put our hands up. Yeah? Okay. Some people might have agoraphobia. Some people might have arachnophobia. Some people might have claustrophobia. There's lots of other phobias. Someone at toddlers used to be scared of buttons. So they could go to the pantomime and watch Cinderella, but hey, there we go. But today we're going to look at two examples of when Jesus said this. Two times when Jesus said it, I'm going to simply unpack them, going to leave you with the, the messages that come through what Jesus said. And the first one is in Luke's Gospel. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We're going to look at just 32 to 34. And we're going to read it. It says like this. It should be on the screen if you haven't got a Bible with you. So Luke 12, 32 to 34 says this. These are Jesus' words just after he's talked about not being worried about whether you'll have food or whether you'll have clothes. He talks about the birds are fed, the lilies are clothed, so you're more precious than those. So he's talked about that and then he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pretty simple four, three verses. Do not be afraid, little flock. So we have a little flock on our farm because Chloe bought them and then abandoned us. Um, sorry. We've got Mabel, we've got Blair, we've got Ebony, Etty, and Ernie. 
Uh, so five sheep we have on our farm. There was only ever supposed to be two, but something happened there. <laughs> when I said to Chloe, I think there's a male sheep got in the field, she's like, no. I said, well, he's giving piggy, someone's giving him piggybacks around the field. I, I think you need to get it out. And then next thing we know, we had another four. One of them sadly died. Apparently, sheep are a bit daft. You know that? I'm told by most sheep farmers that sheep exist to try and die. That's what they do. They try and get themselves into such situations that they die. They're daft. They're absolutely stupid. So Jesus says to his disciples, his closest followers, do not be afraid, little flock. (laughs) What is he saying? Jesus speaks. You know, the advantage with a little flock is that there is a greater knowledge of the individual. Yeah? Chloe knows those five sheep inside and out. Some of them at the minute have had to have some sort of treatment. Some of them haven't. Some of them just eat and eat the grass. But she knows them by name. She knows each one to me. Obviously, the the one that's white is Mabel. The others are all variety of black wool sheep. And so she she knows each one because there's certain patterns on them. I haven't paid that much attention. But she knows them by name. And the advantage of having a little flock is there is a greater knowledge and intimacy with the individual. There's a greater knowledge. So Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid, little flock. In other words, you're sheep, so you are a bit stupid. But also, I know you. I know you. I know each one of you. I know how you function. I know how you live. I have a knowledge that is greater than you know. Jesus speaks and says to them, do not be afraid, knowing them. And do you know this morning, he says it to you. Even though... The flock has grown in terms of Christianity. He still says today, do not be afraid, little flock, because he knows you. He knows you, and he loves you. What does it say in that verse? It says, he is pleased to give you the kingdom. He's not a stingy God. He's not a mean God. He is pleased to give you the kingdom. That's the God who has the whole universe available to him. He is pleased to give you his kingdom. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows if that will be good for you. He knows what helps you. He knows what will hinder you. He knows your struggles and he knows your successes. He knows you. And what does he say? Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Why? Firstly, because he'll provide. We don't need to be afraid. Are you seeking provision at the minute? Are you struggling? We live in a time where people are saying there's a, you know, the, the financial crisis is hitting deep. We're dealing with people all the time who are struggling. And Jesus says, do not be afraid because he'll provide. Not always what you want, but what you need. He tells his disciples who've been sent out with nothing but the clothes on their back. He says, you know, they've no job, they've no income, they've no nothing. But what does he say? He says, be generous. Don't be afraid to be generous. You know, we've taken our offering this morning, and I know some people are incredibly generous. Maybe they aren't able to be, but Jesus says, don't be afraid to be generous. Because a person with a generous heart has a generous spirit and will be seen as God's children. Why are we supposed to be generous? Because it reflects God's character. Because God is pleased to give you the kingdom. God is pleased to give you everything. He gave his son. We've just remembered Jesus in in the bread and the wine. He gave his son that we might live. For God to love the world. Every single last one of us. God is a generous God. He's even given it for people who don't care. He's given it for people who don't give a stuff. He's given it because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. He's a generous, generous God. 
So do not be afraid. Don't be afraid because he'll provide. Don't be afraid because he, don't be afraid to be generous. You know, these were not rich people that Jesus was talking to. These were people with worries about how they would clothe themselves, worries about how they would feed themselves. And Jesus said, Don't be afraid. I know what you need, little flock. I know you. But how was their heart to be satisfied? It was to be satisfied on heavenly things. It was to be fixed on things above, not things below. It was to be fixed on things that would not be stolen or destroyed or gone. What is there that can't be stolen, destroyed or gone? An eternity. An eternity with God. That cannot be stolen. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken. You know, who's got life insurance? Only a few of us. Some people are a bit scared to put their hand up in case we take a contract out on them. <laughs> Who's got car insurance? And we're going to just check now that all the drivers are covered. <laughs> House insurance? Okay. Pet insurance? It's not worth the paper it's written on. Um, sorry, sometimes it is. We went for the slightly lower, lower grade. Don't do it. <laughs> Yo, know, celebrities have often insured their body parts. You know, I've started, I think, to get a little bit of arthritis in my knuckles here. And I'm thinking, maybe I won't, it'll be the whole joke, doctor will ever play the piano again, you know. So I'm going to ask Alan Scantlebury to take over from future. That's right, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't point you out, should I? You want to be anonymous, it's fine. But celebrities have often insured their body parts. So we'll play a little game of higher or lower, okay? So Bruce Springsteen's vocal cords. How much was it reported that his vocal cords... How much did he insure his vocal cords for? Give me a figure. Right, I'm going to start you off because I can't hear most of you. Six million dollars. So it was six million dollars, okay? So we'll start with Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen's vocal cords were insured for six million pounds. So if his vocal cords failed, then the tour management and the insurance would cover all his costs but he still wouldn't have any vocal cords. He still wouldn't be able to sing. If he had to claim all that insurance, it's gone. But you know what wouldn't be gone? Is an eternity with God in heaven. It wouldn't be gone. Mariah Carey's vocal cords, higher or lower than six million? Higher, higher, higher. Good game, good game. 35 million dollars. And also her legs were insured for another 35 million, just saying. I didn't want to get racy this morning. So $35 million so she could sing All I Want for Christmas is You every year. And that's about it. $35 million. But you know, if she takes a claim out on that $35 million, guess what? She still won't be able to sing. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. But what it won't be gone ever is an eternity in heaven with God. Can't be stolen. David Beckham's legs. Lower than Mariah Carey's vocal cords. 195 million pounds. Ronaldo's were slightly less. 195 million pounds for David Beckham's legs. And if his legs go, guess what? They're gone. I play on a Tuesday night football. My legs are pretty much gone. But I don't think they were ever insured as David Beckham's, to be fair. But hey. Rihanna's legs. Higher or lower? One million dollars. Poor Rihanna. She just doesn't feel valued. One million dollars for her legs. But if her legs give out on her, guess what? 
They're gone. She can still sing. Yes, that's very true. Is that you, Steve? Oh, give her that. That was a good, good that. Well done. Yeah, very quick. If her legs go, they're gone. But you know what? We'll never be gone. An eternity in heaven with God. That can never be taken. It can never be stolen. And so Jesus says to the disciples, do not be afraid because I'll provide. Do not be afraid to be generous. You know, Ronaldo's recent behavior has shown that he's, willing to, he's unwilling to accept his career is starting to fade. And sadly, he has been the best in sport. And what happens? What happens when those things start to go? He gets angry, slaps children's phones out of their hands in tunnels, petulance. Why? Because it's starting to fade and go and be destroyed. Second passage you want to look at today is in Matthew's Gospel 14, verses 22 to 33. So, so far in Luke's Gospel, we said, don't be afraid when you're in need, because he'll provide. Don't be afraid to be generous, and don't be afraid to think that you're not known. God knows you, little flock. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33 say this. Immediately, this is after the feeding of the 5,000, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Just read that again. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Okay? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Verse 23. After he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. I read that a little bit wrong, I think. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And I read it a little bit angrily, because I think we read it about, don't we? You of little faith. But I don't think Jesus necessarily spoke like that to Peter. I think it was more of a comforting, come on, little flock. You, you, your faith might be little, but I'm here. I'm here. I don't think Jesus was angry with Peter. I don't think he was cross, but often we read it that way. So what do we see in this story? Well, there's four different sections to it, and we're going to go through them very quickly. Don't panic. The first section is this. Jesus prays alone and sends his disciples in the boat. Jesus prays alone and sends his disciples in the boat. You know, Jesus' prayer life marked out his ministry. He regularly found time to be on his own to pray to God the Father. If Jesus had to do it, then so do we. If Jesus had to pray and spend time with his dad alone, then so do you and I. Jesus prays 
He spends time with the Father, time in the prayer. And you know, most of the disciples were used to being at sea. They were fishermen. They were used to storms that would crop up. They were used to the weather. But here we see that this storm was just so unusual. It was fierce. It was frightening. And they were terrified before Jesus came anywhere near them. They were scared, even though they were in their normal habitat. Jesus has left them seemingly alone. He has actually sent them into the storm. Think about that. Jesus has left them alone. Well, that's what they think. He said, anyone ever feel like that? That God is a, God's not there. He's left me alone. And he sent me into this storm to deal with. But what is Jesus doing? He feels far away, yet he's still praying, probably for them. It reminded me of some verses in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 34 to 37 says this. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, it doesn't mean that. Despite all of those things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And yet so often we see our circumstances and we, we react as if actually it's the end of the world. Let me read that again. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid. Jesus is pleading for us. Now those verses say he's pleading with God the Father now for you and for me. So even though you might be in a storm, even though you might feel he sent you into that storm, even though you might feel alone in that storm, he's pleading for you and praying for you. Some of you don't look very excited by that. Okay? How amazing is it that God of the universe will provide for you, but the God of the universe, his son, is praying for you. And despite all the troubles, nothing will separate us. His love remains, whatever the circumstances, because do you know what? His eternal love cannot be stolen. If Ronaldo's legs give out, if your legs give out, Jesus' love cannot give out. It keeps going. His love remains, so don't be afraid. The next part of the story is they think they've seen a ghost. I'm not into scary films. Anyone here into scary films? No, even the trailers for scary films, there's one at the moment that's horrible, but anyway, I'm not going to go into that. If you've seen it, you'll know it. But uh, I've been plenty scared by things over the years. I remember coming home to my mum and dad's house. I was on my own. I turned BBC on. I'd forgotten it was Halloween. And the BBC had commissioned a mockumentary. You might remember it if you're old enough. It was like a real programme where they had people like Sarah Green off Blue Peter. They had all these famous presenters on location. And they went to this house, and there's all these scary things started happening. And it wasn't until the end of the program that the producers let everybody know that it was all made up. But it appeared to be a real news report. Otherwise, I'd have turned it off. And I turned the telly off. And no joke, I sat in my mum and dad's house on my own, 
thinking I need to read my Bible all the way through. <laughs> it was terrifying. I watched a black and white film at my brother-in-law's on the Yorkshire Moors once, and I was fine when I watched the film. It wasn't that scary. It was a bit of a thriller. And I went to a bedroom in the separate part of the house, and I checked under the bed before I got in it. I was absolutely worried sick to go to sleep because <laughs> it was frightening. In the storm, the disciples then see something coming towards them that they can only describe as a ghost. What's Jesus' response when they are terrified? Terrified because of the storm, terrified because of Jesus' appearance. Jesus has three short bursts. Take heart. What does that remind you of? Regularly in the Old Testament, particularly to Joshua, to Gideon, to Moses, Jesus, or God says, be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be very courageous. Be bold. Jesus says to his disciples, take heart. Remembering that word. The word heart comes from the word courage and all those things. So actually courageous. Jesus says to them, don't be terrified. Be brave. Be brave. Be bold. Even though it's a scary situation, be brave. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. How does he reassure them? He says, it is I. That reminds me of hello, hello. It is I, Leclerc. <laughs> Sorry. I know Ian's a fan. Tis I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. What does it is I remind you of? Well, it's already been used in this series when Ray talked about you're not alone. I am with you. Oh, I am. Where have we heard that before? Jesus himself says, be courageous. I am is here. In other words, God. Yahweh, the name for God is I am who I am. Jesus appears and says, take courage. I am here. And the last thing he says is, do not be afraid. Why? Because God is with you through his son, through his spirit. And that's something that can never be stolen. That's something that can never be taken away. That's something that will not rot or rust. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. Do not be afraid. He said all the way through the gospels. It's said to Mary when she's told she's going to have a baby. It's said to the shepherds when they see the angels and they've got to visit Jesus. It's said to the women when the tomb is empty and they're scared sick that somebody has stolen the body. Do not be afraid. In moments of difficulty, disbelief, and fear and sadness, Jesus says, do not be afraid. How many of those situations relate to you right now? Difficulty, disbelief, doubt, fear, sadness. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I'm with you. And you know, he's not an illusion. He's not a ghost, he's real. And he comes at the right time and he says, do not be afraid, little flock. The third part of this episode, Peter isn't sure. He says, if it's you... Asked me to come out on the water. And a lot of us criticise him for that. <laughs> but he's pretty brave. He listens to the take courage, take heart. And he says, okay, if it's you, I know, Jesus, you're capable. I know, Jesus, that you can, you've got me. I know that if I step out onto this wavy, windy, rocky sea, that you've got me. So if it's you, I'm not going to sink. And Peter steps out and walks on the storm. Peter walks on the storm. Many of us are surrounded by a storm. Jesus says you can walk on it. You can walk through it. You can walk in it. Why? Because Jesus is with him and he sees Jesus is above it all. But as soon as he pays more attention to the wind and the waves and the circumstances around him, what happens? He sinks. 
he sinks and he cries out. And what happens when he cries out? We see the second use of the word immediately. Immediately, Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. When Peter is sinking and losing hope, Jesus immediately reaches out to pick him up. When he turns back to Jesus, when he turns his eyes back to the Lord, he's rescued. You know, Jesus' hands are saving hands. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 to 16 say this to Israel. This is God speaking to Israel. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Is there no love for the child she has born? But even if that is possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Jesus' hands are saving hands. He reaches down and rescues Peter. And the final part of this story has two key sentences, yet more simple words. It's like a rabbit hole. It's like Inception, this series, isn't it? For those of you who've got, that's a more modern reference than another one. But anyway. When they got in the boat from walking on the storm, the wind and the waves died down. There's still the potential for fear and worry because they're still in the boat. They're still on the sea. They're still in the same circumstances, but the wind has stopped for a moment. It could still start again, but as they invite Jesus into the boat, there is stability and there is peace. Yeah? The presence of Jesus in the middle of our lives will guarantee victory ultimately because the victory that he's won cannot be stolen. It's not like Ronaldo's legs... It's not like Mariah Carey's vocal cords that in about a month's time, some of us would be glad if they were given out. There will be times when we take our eyes off him. Maybe that's right now for some of us. There'll be times where we take our eyes off his provision, his faithfulness, his salvation, and we start to do it in our own strength. There'll be times where we stop looking at the one who's walking above the storms and invites us to walk on them and walk through them and walk in them, and we'll start to sink. But if we cry out to him immediately, he'll come and lift us back. And when we invite him into that situation, into that boat where there could still be te tendencies for wind, there could still be tendency for storm, we can still have peace. When we recognize his presence at the heart of our homes, our families, our marriages and more, we will be able to hear his words, which are, do not be afraid, little flock. I know you, I'll provide for you, I'm generous to you, I'll save you, I'll redeem you, I'll protect you, I'll walk with you, I'll sit with you, I'll pray for you, I'll plead with you, I'll do all those things because I am enough. And what happens to those in the boat? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They'd just been through the most terrifying experience of their lives and they worship the one who brings peace. That's the lesson we need to do. When we allow Jesus to step in, we will worship him because we will see him, we will hear him, and we will know him just as the disciples did as truly the Son of God, the one who takes away fear. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power that we have is from God and not from us. Listen to these verses. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. 
Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Do you know the life of Jesus can't be stolen? They tried. And he came back. They tried. And he came back and he's coming back again. You know, today as I finish, it's how we face the circumstances of life with Jesus at our heart that will show others the light of God within our lives. It's how we face those struggles that will show Jesus. It's how we face our storms. And it's who we face them with that will make the difference. Do not be afraid. Martyrs, when you look at Stephen in the New Testament who was stoned to death, His response was one of peace and love and grace so that others there saw Jesus. I said I'd finish with five simple words. I've got a picture I want to put up on the screen. I've gone way over today, sorry. do apologise. The first bit was a notice though really, wasn't it? So that's okay. So that is, you've seen this before? Yeah? If you've got one on your car, drive very carefully. Okay. That's why I haven't got one on mine. That's Greek. That is a Greek word in the middle. The reason the fish is there, this was the symbol for the disciples when they had to be in secret. That word is ichthys. It means fish. It's a Greek word that means fish. So they drew the sign of the fish, and you think, well, why? Because they were fishermen? Well, they weren't all fishermen. But ichthys is five Greek letters, and each one of them stands for a word. And it's really important that we have the fifth. That's why I'm saying four simple words has to become five. The first one is the Greek letter that begins the name of Jesus. The second one is the Greek letter that begins the name Christ. The third one is the Greek letter for gods. The fourth one is the Greek letter for son. So if we leave it at four simple words, we have Jesus Christ, God's son. But the fifth one is the first letter of the word saviour. Because we can have the first four and it not make any difference. But you know the thing that can't be stolen, killed or destroyed is when he's your saviour. When you cry out to him and immediately comes and rescues you. Jesus Christ, God's son, saviour. That's why you see the fish. Not because people are interested in fish but because they want to tell you that Jesus Christ is God's son and he's their saviour. This morning, I don't know what you've heard as we've done this series, but as we've looked at the words of Jesus, what's our response? To ask to go to him, to ask him to come into the middle of our boats and our storms and hopefully to worship him as saviour. And he says this morning, do not be afraid, little flock. I'm with you, I'll give you, believe and be baptised, and know a life where the storm can be stilled, or I can walk above it with you, and I can be in the middle of it with you too. Remember the five words, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Saviour. Let's pray, I invite the band up.